like endless rain into a paper cup They slither wildly as they slip away across the universe Pools of sorrow, waves of joy are drifting through my opened mind Possessing and caressing me afternoon. You're listening to The Living Writers Show. My name is T. Hetzel, and today I'm in the studio. Um, Anthony LePay and Dan Goldman. Uh, this is a, a pre-taped show on the 29th of November, um, and uh, the gentlemen are in town with their, their new book, the graphic novel Shooting War. Um, so welcome. Thanks. It's well, good to be alive. <laughs> it, is, it is good to be alive. And you were in Detroit, uh, well, Dearborn, earlier today. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was the comic shop, Dan? It what was, was uh, Green Brain Comics, Green which is in Dearborn on uh, Michigan Avenue, Michigan I think, Avenue. right? So mm-hmm. do a shout out to them, the Green Woo, Brain Comics. They were comics. awesome. <laughs> we had l- wonderful Lebanese food. Everybody was very cool. And it's a great store. Oh, yeah. Okay. And Anthony, thumbs up from you, too. Yeah, it was very cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So without further ado... Um, I'm going to read your bios that are in the back of Shooting War. Anthony LePay is executive editor of GNN TV, the website for the Guerrilla News Network. As a freelance reporter, he has written for more than 20 media outlets, including Details, New York Magazine, The New York Times, South China Morning Post, Vice, and Salon.com, among others. He has been a producer for MTV News and Specials and Fuse. He is co-author of True Lies and the producer of the award-winning Showtime documentary about Iraq, Battleground, 21 Days on the Empire's Edge. And that is a really good, maybe we can talk a couple minutes about that because I'm so um, glad you've seen it. Thanks. That's, I just, I watched it last night and fortunately I was actually got a bit, I got a bit, uh, teary eyed. So I don't know if that's, was your that was the intention. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Anthony. Sure. Okay. And now Dan Goldman, um, a Taurus is the writer artist <laughs> of the surreal Craigslist romance, Kelly and co-author of the political graphic novel, every man be the people, a founding member of the online comics anthology activate. He creates his work digitally using a combination of photography, vector illustration, and digital painting. His next book project, a nonfiction graphic novel collaboration 
with the New Republic's Michael Crowley covering the 2008 presidential primaries will be published by Crown Publishers Incorporated in fall 2008. He lives in New York City. As do you, right, Anthony? I do, yes. Okay, so now we know where you live. <laughs> and um, Anthony's a Gemini. So now we know some basics about you. <laughs> you got the astrology out of the way <laughs> exactly. and the bios. It's great. Exactly. This is a it's living... It's like a first date. I like it. <laughs> it is, <laughs> except I'm not giving you any wine or whiskey or mm, anything. Not That's... even mozzarella sticks. At the beginning. <laughs> Something fried always helps out, right? <laughs> yeah. It kind of greases the wheels. <clears throat> I don't know. Um, so... Um, well, gentlemen, so shooting more. Um, this, this. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Uh, Jimmy Burns, uh, well, is the main character, the narrator. But I'll hand it to you. Shooting War is a uh, graphic novel set in the year 2011. Our hero is a 26-year-old anti-corporate blogger, who one of these kids who probably like a lot of bloggers thinks he's got it all figured out. Um, he, and he's doing, he does a, these in 2011, you can do sort of live HD quality video, um, uh, video blogs straight to the web. And he's doing a series of, of video blogs, a 31 part series called the corporate takeover of America. And he's standing in front of a Starbucks in the newly gentrified area of Brooklyn where he lives complaining about how Starbucks is coming in and kicking out all the local businesses and, uh, a suicide bomber blows up the Starbucks right behind him and he's happens to be there and it has the only footage of it and it's uploaded by it's sort of hijacked by a, a new news network called Global News Global News Network right with the yes. same initials as the Gorilla News Network was that intentional? That was a, yeah that's a strange coincidence <laughs> I don't know how that happened but uh, Global News What is, parallels are you making Anthony? <laughs> well actually Global News is sort of a, a post Fox News news right. network Right They are uh, sort of like if Lou Dobbs uh, got his own network, it would be their sort of hyper-nationalist and uh, uh, right-wing in in a sort of post-Bush way. but what makes them interesting and different than other news networks is they're into showing you the war on terror live, uncensored, and in all its bloody glory. So it's sort of like a mix between America's scariest police chases right. and, uh, and, and Fox News. Right, right. Yeah, because the, the book, it's called a graphic novel, but that's the, the genre, right? But then there's the hugely graphic moments with like the lopping off of a head and, and uh, other... And um, oh, and, and a spring break. <laughs> Not that that's usually graphic, but anyway, it's a picture, right? Yeah, it's a picture. <laughs> um, so our hero Jimmy Burns uh, finds himself a sort of overnight media superstar, and um, he gets a sort of offer of a lifetime—the chance to go to Baghdad and be a war correspondent, sort of, you know, his his dream in life. Um, except. He, when he arrives, very shortly after he arrives, he finds that it's a lot harder, um, both physically and, more importantly, emotionally, to, to actually be a war correspondent. Um, so it's about, the story is about Jimmy. Um, challenge to to live up to his own ideals and to be a war correspondent um, as he's being used as a pawn by uh, this new uh, jihadist group called the Sword of Muhammad and the U.S. military. Right, both, really, isn't he? Um, so how, um, 
What, what was well? A quick question about your intention for using real people as in this mm-hmm. fictional framework as well. Like John McCain is the president mm-hmm. in uh, 2011, and but Dan Rather is still alive, mm-hmm. which is good news Knock for Dan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah. Well, what, we what's la- the reason for that? Well, we real- launched this as a um, actually as a web comic, a serialized yes. web comic Smith Mag. on smithmag.net, yeah. and uh, I. Uh, we did it every two weeks. We would do a new uh, chapter, and I put I kind of just threw in Dan as a uh, Dan rather that is as a as a cameo, and people flipped out. They were like, "Oh man, we love Dan rather as as you know as his character." So when we came to write the book, uh, I decided to to inject him as sort of this Obi Wan Kenobi like kind of wacky mentor for uh jimmy who, he is wacky in this yes frequency is the the, the frequency only. is courage Freque- yes. okay. <laughs> um you know i don't know be, probably the listeners of this show are a little too young to remember but dan famously for for a stint i think in the late 80s used to sign off the cbs evening news with courage Oh, really? In that's, the late 80s? Yes. That's when we needed it most, right? Yes. <laughs> no, that's not true. We need it and now. And of course, the famous What's the Frequency Kenneth right. incident. Um, uh, we actually have t-shirts, the Frequency is Courage t-shirts uh, with Dan Rather's likeness on it. You can get it at <laughs> shootingwar.com. Um, Good. I'm glad you have the website. <laughs> made the website out. <laughs> yes. We have, there's merchandise Moment. involved in this book. Um, and but, why this form? Why this book? Like, why why was it important to have this material presented as a graphic novel? Do you want to? Sure, I, I think um, I think there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of things that you can get in sort of under the radar in a, in in this medium that would be tougher to get away with with a studio film with a, a big budget, or you know, um, or in another medium. Comics are just uh, you know historically uh, great vehicles for subversion and for getting. Uh, something that appears to be pretty simple and is loaded with lots of complex ideas. Right, right. And also, for me, it was a chance to do something with satire and dark satire. Um, I think a lot of, you know, you can see today that all these very heavy-handed political Iraq uh, films like and, or war on terror films like Lions for Lambs and Redacted are just completely tanking at the box office. Um, because I think people just don't want to be hit over the head. I think, you know, there's a reason why this generation, um, and it's not really a generation, it's more of a psychographic, if you will, a, a broad swath of people get their news from The Daily Show because they see through the farce that is the, you know, cable and uh, network news. They say that laughter is the only sane response, don't they? So, That's true. Yeah. Who's they, Dan? Who I'm does, paranoid. Who said that? <laughs> <laughs> who said that? Yeah. I wonder that. You don't talk I'm... to they? <laughs> they. I talk to they all the time. <laughs> it's the voices. Mm. The voices in the the head. Um and so and how did so how did you both become collaborators because it seems like you've been active in these really separate like separate things that are like GNN for you Anthony and mm-hmm. activate am I saying it right cuz mm-hmm. there's the hyphen so, so activate silent for hyphens. you silent okay. <laughs> 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 Is it important to know that there's an i in activate It's it? just important to get the hyphens otherwise it takes you to a different website It sure d- yeah it yeah. does yeah I I went that yeah the other one yeah. and true lies the <laughs> same with that because i didn't know it but it's a schwarzenegger schwarzenegger i can't say his name yeah it's close enough film but right. um so how did you we, both we i came up with um i was actually writing this as a screenplay 
and this is this I, I wanted to tell all the, the the college students out there that if you ever had a, a 3 a, 30 a.m completely hammered idea that you think will never come to fruition well this was a uh, uh, an idea that I, I had that I was telling a friend of mine at 3 30 in the morning pretty hammered off of our faces and uh, I was telling him about this idea for a screenplay and he said dude that would make a great comic book and uh, I was like really you know I didn't have really read comic books and um, I said all right I'll do it as a comic book and then about 10 minutes later, I was like, dude, how are we, how are we ever going <laughs> to... I love this, like the <laughs> how, actual dialogue. <laughs> how, we, how am I ever going to sell a comic book? You know, I was a, I'm a political journalist. And he said, dude, we'll launch it as a webcomic. <clears throat> and uh, so that was the concept. A friend of mine named Jeff Newell had the idea. And uh, he knew a guy who had a website called Smith Mag. And uh, I just put up a thing on Craigslist. And I found Dan out in the uh, void sort of a, a want ad for yeah. a, a design. just a three sentence little thing documentary filmmaker journalist been to Iraq mm-hmm. want to do a graphic novel I found uh, I f- went through a lot of other artists actually saw, saw some great work but it was all very conventional comic booky stuff and then I saw Dan's work which was not quite he hadn't really perfected this technique that he he kind of got into with shooting war but i saw immediately the his the way he used uh photo source material and his own kind mm. of twisted people and faces and in just the expressions that he got yeah, the just, expressions are something else because they're almost it there's motion in them in yeah it's still frame so i knew he was he was the one right he was, he it was sounds the, like it was a, a, it was a magical <laughs> moment it was, I, it was a magical but, um, match we tell people we met on j date actually yeah, it's, it's, it's a cuter story <laughs> but um <laughs> Yeah, so I, I emailed Anthony. Um, the The listing looked interesting, and it was about two or three weeks old. And I, I said, you know, I wrote to him and I said, "Hey, uh, you've probably filled this already, but it sounds interesting. Can you just tell me what it's about, and I'll keep an eye out for it when it hits, because it sounds cool." And uh, you know, I, I've I have a history with uh, doing political material in in comics already uh, with every man, and um, so I wanted to keep an eye out for this. It, it sounded it sounded legit, and his credentials were impressive, and and so I sent the email, and my phone rang like ten minutes later. Really? So <laughs> yeah. And um, you're waiting. In a I way. was waiting. For it him. was pretty. It was pretty cool. And and that you know that I was like, wow, this guy's pretty serious. Either that or he's totally desperate. And uh, <laughs> mix, of, mix of both. <laughs> yeah. Nice combo. So I went. He had a Anthony had a screening of uh, of Battleground that I went to see, and I was. Did very, you cry too? I. I on the inside, on the very inside, deeply. Right. Okay. No, no. Actually, I was really impressed by um, how. Uh, how not ham-handed it was exactly. and how it, it really didn't it didn't have an agenda and that really impressed me it was journalism it, it wasn't you know it, it wasn't propaganda right and it was about it well and the the part afterwards there's like a a part with Stephen Marshall and and Anthony you you speak about making the film and your mm-hmm. intentions and I think it comes with like the emotional like the people's story right. because right? yeah so just to to, to give the listeners a little background battleground was a, this film we uh, i did with Stephen marshall and you know speaking of, of of crazy synchronicity we actually were were sitting on a plane to amon jordan and we met um a guy frank sitting next to us frank um albayati who was a shia who fought in the 1991 uprising against saddam hussein was uh wounded captured tortured escaped uh 
repatriated to the U.S. and was living there for 13 years and was now going back to find his family for the first time. And he hadn't talked to them. So we follow him back to um, finding his family. And he'd been 16 when he was forced into exile, which I thought was, you you forget the age that people are thrown into this Mm -hmm. war. Yeah. So... Yeah, that film really, uh, if you read the book and you watch the film, um, you'll see some similar characters, actually. There's a, a lieutenant colonel um, who's a sort of legendary um, and now sort of infamous character named Nate Sassaman. Wh- which seems to be who, Dan, you based the picture yes. of mm-hmm. the colonel in, in Shooting yeah, War directly. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what I thought. And I thought, and, ooh, that's some commentary that you're yeah. making there as well. Yeah, well, this guy, uh, Sassaman, was actually a quarterback at West Point and was a, like, sort of a legend, sort of a pre-Pat Tillman. Pat, uh, Pat Tillman, he, instead of going to the NFL, he decided to go into the Army. And uh, but in Iraq, he, he had a really rough go of it. He was essentially, you know, became this kind of colonial overlord of this area, and the uh, locals really were giving him a hard time. And he kind of flipped out and wrung a town and barbed wire completely, and issued ID cards for everyone. And he's sort of famous for he gave a quote in the New York Times actually shortly after we were embedded with him, where he said, uh, "quote with a heavy dose of fear and violence." and enough money for projects these people will come to understand we're here to help them (laughs) (laughs) it's it's so absurd like you think this can't can't be true exactly well that's why i had and that's to to segue directly into shooting war you know that's he really summed it up to me at one point where we were questioning him about the locals complaints about them shooting their dogs and beating up their wives etc you know basically what happens on a day-to-day basis over there and uh he turned to us and he said, my life is a surreal movie. Every day I wake up and it's completely surreal. And you choose to end the, the film with that. That's the last clip you see, which <clears throat> Thanks is... Thanks for giving away the ending. Oh, so... Oh. <laughs> Spoiler <laughs> alert. It's all right. It's not a plot point. But the point is... Uh, Ham-handed. <laughs> that stuck with me. You know, that the, the, the idea that this war is a tremendous tragedy we all know that Le- whether you're left or right it's been a major screw up and etc and it but twists it al- everyone's actions right. doesn't it no matter what side you're on right but it's also really uh, a farce you know T- so in some ways shooting war to me is is uh my favorite movie of all time uh was dr strangelove which was essentially the greatest you know it was a total farce about the cold war um, but it was like, you know, those characters were based upon real characters. Dr. Strangelove is based upon, you know, a guy named Teller who really did believe we could survive thermonuclear war. These people were real. Jack, uh, Cur- you know, Colonel Ripper, uh, there were literally people who did believe that uh, the communists were trying to sap our p- bodily fluids through the use <laughs> of fluoride and other nefarious, uh, you know, uh, methods. So these things, you know, so in that vein, I, 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 if anyone, if I compare shooting war to anything, it would be to Dr. Strangelove. And so now, so this project, since it's a graphic novel, is the graphic part taken, is that taken away the need to see it come to life as a, a screenplay, as a film as well? Uh, no, it hasn't taken it away at all. We're actually, oh, okay. yeah, we're actually uh, talking about making it into a film or a TV series, possibly. These, these are the most um, ornate storyboards ever, Dan. Right. <laughs> well, you know, <clears throat> when people talk about uh, translating graphic novels to uh, to the screen, 
and they said, oh, I don't know how we can do it. Like with the X-Men and, and you know, or, but, but uh, a friend of mine had went through a similar experience and, and he said, oh, you want to know how to do this? And he just handed them the book and he said, this is how you do it. He just pointed <laughs> panel after panel. This is, this is how it's done. And that's it. You know, and all you have to do is read it. Right. Right. (laughs) It couldn't be more simple. It's staring you in the face. Yeah. I mean, I wrote it as a screenplay in screenplay format. Right. We did it a little differently than than most comics are written. There's a sort of traditional comic format where the writer basically tells the artist which panel, what's going to happen in each panel. Since I didn't really have any experience, not only writing comics, I barely even read comic books. Yeah, to visualize how that right. would work. Even. I really wrote it. I had ideas in my head about the scenes, but I didn't, I couldn't, since I didn't have the experience, I didn't know how to break it down into distinct panels. Mm-hmm. I was thinking very cinematically, but I didn't know how to translate it. So really what Dan did was adapt my screenplay into a graphic novel. Mm-hmm. But we did it very, if you look at the format of the, the panels, they're done in a 16 by 9 filmatic um, frame uh, ratio. Um, so the whole, the whole idea we wanted to get across was of a uh, you know, widescreen HD television or a, you know, a film experience. Mm-hmm. It was easy for us to work that way. I mean, uh, when we first started meeting up to do this uh you know anthony was like how do i how should i write this for you and i said what are you what are you comfortable with and he said screenplays and i it's fine for me because uh it actually gave me a lot of latitude and a lot of control to uh you know to pick and choose the moments and pace it the way i wanted to pace it or the way i felt it you know the way it was happening in my head when i read it um so a true collaboration yeah it was really cool i mean and i i have my background like uh, in terms of education is, is film is not art i never studied art in my life so uh there was uh you know there was definitely like a like a film aspect to this like a production aspect to this yeah that was a good bridge for you so then you could Mm -hmm. speak the same language in a way Mm -hmm. right to get the project going um well um anthony would you like to to read you have a section um to read for us yeah this uh throughout the book we um sort of pepper it with with jimmy jimmy's a blogger and he continues writing his blog when he's in baghdad his blog is called burn baby burn and um so we we tried to add like some kind of writing to kind of get into jimmy's head to tell the reader you know share the experience he's having in baghdad so i'm going to read uh, a blog entry that's uh written by jimmy uh i believe about a month or so after he's arrived in baghdad it's called the honeymoon is over excuse me had another nightmare last night this time my mother made a cameo don't ask I've been here five months and everything still feels so alien. Nothing I do seems to go right. The honeymoon is over, kids. Sometimes I want—I don't want to get out of bed in the morning, let alone risk my neck hitting the streets to report on what blew up that day. I don't know if anything I do here makes a smidgen of difference in how you back home understand this conflict. It's one thing to be brave. It's another thing altogether to try to make sense of centuries-old conflicts when you don't even speak the language or understand the religion, let alone the dozen or so factions with thousands of competing individuals intent on slaughtering each other like animals on a daily basis. It's really hard to describe just how much Baghdad sucks. If the insurgents don't get you, the heat, the pollution, or the kebab that hits your colon like an IED will. Even the Iraqis are complaining the weather has turned downright Dante-esque. I got to 132 degrees Fahrenheit the other day. 
monster flash sandstorms have been wreaking havoc on oil facilities and American aircraft across the country. An Army weather guy told me he had no doubt they were connected to the rising ocean temps that are making this year's hurricane and monsoon season so nasty. The blast windows keep out most of the sound from my room at night, but the thud of mortars and the crack of gunfire still keeps me up. Just to screw with us, Apaches sometimes buzz the high floors of the hotel in the ass crack of the morning. Your room rattles as if you're inside a giant vibrator. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> a good place. <laughs> nice. I appreciate that. Um, and so how much, because, well, you spent time um, over there, Anthony. So how much of this is actually, you're just drawing from your own, your images in your mind from that experience? Well, I was there. I, I wouldn't go as far as to call myself a war correspondent. I've, I've been a reporter and I've been in a lot of hairy situations and, and traveled all over the world. But I was only there briefly doing this film. So a lot of the, uh, this is inspired by a lot of my friends who are uh, war correspondents who spent a lot of time in Baghdad. Actually, a University of Michigan graduate uh, named uh, David Enders. I don't know if you've uh, heard of Dave, but he is this amazing kid. He's 26 or 25 now. And uh, shortly after he graduated from here in Michigan, he went to Baghdad and started the first English language uh, magazine in oh, wow. Baghdad. Yeah. And he's been in and out of there working as a totally unembedded reporter, actually dressing like an Iraqi, uh, traveling around the country um, in ways that some may call insane, um, uh, but doing great reporting for the nation and Mother Jones and others. So it's guys like that are really my heroes. I'm kind of getting older and have a kid, so the idea of like getting shot at is not as sexy as it was back in the day. Um, so in some ways, you know, if I was 26 years old in 2011, Jimmy Burns could quite possibly be me. Um, okay, so... There's a, there's a million things to ask you and not too much time left, so what to ask? Well, this is, um, uh, with the Gorilla News Network, wait, Anthony, another question for you. Um, how, I'm just wondering with your multiple projects, so Dan too, like how, how you keep, because these are important projects, like were you always, when did you start having a political conscience? Because they seem to be um, all surrounding the political um, uh, your your Kelly uh, um, one is about no that's more about room finding a roommate right that's not yeah, political Kelly, but Kelly's everything more like sort of psychosexual okay so that's yeah. one exception <laughs> but everything else both yeah. of you do <laughs> maybe we should talk about the psychosexual a short break from a rock <laughs> cool drink of water yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> in a desert of of pain and torture but um but. Uh, but but you both are your work seems to be driven by the political mm -hmm. so uh, can you speak to that yeah uh there's a great um hip-hop track that i always think about um when people ask me this question i think it's by diggable planets uh i want to kick something and mean something and i i think that if you're gonna step up to the mic and and do something you know in any medium you should have something to say it doesn't have to be political i mean i think that you can uh, you know, you can, you can speak to any kinds of things, but I, I, I'm really turned off by mindless entertainment and I don't ever want to do any of it. That's, I mean, I could, I could be working on Spider-Man comics, maybe, but I have no interest in it. Um, for me, it's much more interesting and fulfilling to do, you know, this kind of thing and, you know, any of the other projects that I've done that, that give me a, 
you know, a place to put my important thoughts and feelings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I don't mean to so, laugh. No, yeah. that's, that's no, it's, true. It, it Another hurt. magical it moment with Dan Goldman. Yes. Um, Sorry, I was laughing at the Diggable <laughs> Planets reference. I had heard that one. That was good, Dan. Um, I grew up in a totally political um, household. My mother's a, a, a writer. Um, she wrote a book the year I was born called Diet for a Small Planet, which has kind of become the veg- the Bible for vegetarianism. Uh, probably a lot of people know. So I kind of grew up in that uh, milieu, if you would. And uh, my father was a um, uh, scientist and a, and a uh, ethicist who worked a lot about toxic chemical uh, pollution of our environment. So I, I grew up in a very political house. So it really wasn't a stretch for me to get into doing uh, politically charged work. And something that it seems like you'll continue to do then. It just mm-hmm. shapes how you're, what you're looking for. Because you know, it's a, you're, the next project is always somehow linked, isn't it, to the previous in some yeah. ways? Yeah, either it follows it or it's a reaction to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Shooting War to me was a reaction uh, a, uh, to 15 years of kind of the grind, what became a grind for me in, in journalism. Um, would I, that what what sort of grind would that be? Because uh, would that be sustaining GN the Guerrilla News Network, or would that be actually writing for the other list uh, that we well, I read both. earlier? Yeah, both. I mean, just the whole thing of I wrote a book with Stephen Marshall, the guy I did the film with, uh, called True Lies, and we you know it was like nine chapters of investigating different things, and just the whole thing of of being an investigative reporter is just a lot of work. And it was just such a revelation to sit there and be like, oh, wait, I can just make things up off the top of my head. And I don't have to go sit in a room with a lawyer and check all my facts. And I can be funny and, you know, all these things that you can do in fiction. And I can work in a new medium uh, that was just so exciting and work with such a... Uh, amazing artist and who really taught me how the, this whole new language. Right. So um, it's just uh, you know it's uh, for me. I've, all, I've always been interested. In, I worked in television and I worked um, in print and now and this is just kind of a new way to get out the what did Dan say the ideas and my feelings <laughs> <laughs> or kick kick to the mic kick it to the mic kick it yeah kick right. it to um, kick it kick it if you're gonna kick it kick it hard. And mean it. Isn't that um, Hume who said that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or Locke or Locke. Rousseau. Um, are, so, so is this with shooting more? How much of the the trajectory of what, like the predictions of 2011? Do you uh, like? How did you do? Come about making this as a prophecy of sorts? What? Um, a lot of it, uh, on a level, uh, was due to the the fact that we did it online and we had you know this instant feedback from from the the readers of the book uh which was really amazing um that every every chapter became a dialogue and uh you can actually you know if you go to to see the webcomic on on the on the website you can you can still it, it's all still alive there and you can you can actually see the the comments on every single chapter oh wow okay because i was starting to look yeah. but i must not have just it's been preserved as as if out. in amber on the internet <laughs> Which is strange, like because maybe that'll be that our future will be so many things will be preserved until some people start wiping them out, and then our memories will be wiped out because we won't have other documents, right? Or <laughs> totally. we won't have the stone tablets <laughs> that we've chiseled <laughs> with our right. commandments. Um, uh, for me, yeah, I mean, to me, uh, uh, shooting war was kind of like a thought experiment, uh, you know, uh, to 
sort of half predict, half make uh, sort of metaphorical jokes about where we're headed. So, but it was actually very eerie. Some of the things I wrote that were kind of like as jokes started coming true. Right. Uh, yeah. So that was a little freaky. I mean, for instance, the basic premise of the political situation in Iraq in 2011 is that uh, McCain as president is sort of stuck in, you know, things are still not quite working out with the Iraqi government and the Iraqi army, and they finally come to terms with the fact that they essentially have armed our uh, Shia-Iran-linked enemies in the Iraqi security forces. So he starts a, what's called a de-Shiaification program of the Iraqi army and reconstitutes it with our old allies, the Ba'athists, but they call them secular nationalists is the euphemism. So that was kind of like a joke. You know, I don't know, Bill Maher, if he used to joke on his show about how, you know, we need to bring back Saddam. Um, because they really, Saddam, the secular nationalists are our natural allies, if you're talking about the real politique of, of that region. region. Yeah. So, but anyway, but then what happened this summer, the whole surge is based upon essentially rearming the Sunni nationalists in the Anbar province to fight the foreign Al-Qaeda elements and mostly, you know, to keep the Shia militias at bay. So what was sort of a joke then kind of came to reality and it just shows you what a farce the whole thing is. Yeah, 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 but in such a serious way. (laughs) So, um... Because uh, cause I'm wondering also, because there must be sort of unsettling to see, because it's not, it's, we're not quite at 11 yet, we're just at 7, and um, it was it was also a, sort of an interesting moment to see robots and, mm-hmm. and how um, the, the, the military men are actually then playing video games, because we're talking about how that removed people are from the f- fighting there's in some way. There's a big disconnect, and there's a lot of video game uh, influence in this book, too you know just not just in the story but in the way you know there's even some panels where we're looking through the soldiers um heads up display helmets and and it's modeled after you know a first person shooter game which is something that that would be instantly comfortable and disconnecting uh, emotionally for people to just jump into battle and just start wailing on other human beings as though they were sitting in their living room but then but then the consequence at least in shooting war is that then they've discovered the hospital where they've these robot shooters have just shot up the the patients Mm -hmm. and the doctors and children rather than you know and they've and but and you can see where they're document documented kills right, right. on the screen right. just hanging yeah it's really quite yeah. and the other uh, it's the, kind of depressing <laughs> uh, but good good it makes you think like you said in the back of the book that was your intention for it and uh, yeah the other way we bring in video games is that um, what I tried to do was to think about okay what is the post bin Laden era going to look like in the global jihadist movement and I was thinking about okay what would be the most dangerous jihadist leader right and I think it would be not a kind of Taliban Al Qaeda like no. but what if he was kind of a hip Che Guevara exactly that was great jihadist who was kind of hip to technology um, so. The, Abu Abdullah, the leader of the Sword of Muhammad, who's kind of the new, uh, you know, pretender to the throne of the in the jihadist uh, world, uh, has this video game called Infidel Massacre Los Angeles, which is sort of like uh, Grand Theft Auto, um, where you can go around Los Angeles and slaughter the infidels, um, and it's very popular and it's a, it's freely downloadable. Oh, wow. So it's part oh, of it's okay. part of their whole marketing strategy, trying in to the get book, not in really. the book, right? Yeah, this is fiction. <laughs> Don't get too excited. <laughs> I can't wait to play. 
<laughs> and he says there's one coming out for New York City soon. Um, so the idea is that they're trying to reach, you know, uh, th- 60% of the Arab world is under the age of 30. And I think a lot of if anyone who's traveled over there realizes that while there's a lot of uh, anger towards the West, uh, Western popular culture is extremely popular. There's like something like 30 music video channels in Asia today. Um, and... Uh, music and video games and online chat rooms and all those other things the technology around that are very popular and they're very much driven by western popular culture influences so this uh new jihadist movement is trying to kind of appropriate that like in a true guerrilla form I and mean, what is if you read che's uh manual for guerrilla warfare it's using the, the technology of the enemy against them and mm. essentially that's what he's doing here with popular culture yes and trying to to orchestrate like a puppet show as if it's you know if it's someone else but he's actually the main bad guy yes let's not pulling. give away that oh that's true point. yeah <laughs> another spoiler <laughs> by t hetzel um and you know it's funny as i was um uh, after i watched the the documentary uh, battleground 21 days on the empire's edge um Last night, it, it struck me that I had heard of your Guerrilla News Network before, because it was back in 99 in Seattle um, with the WTO uh, pro- protests against WTO. And it was funny, because then in the book, when I was finishing reading it today, there was the the main character, who you're, the Che sort of uh, character, um, he, he sort of... Uh, um, says some like kind of has disdain for those people like Mm -hmm. that's you don't know anything these people who think that that's the protest of the time and and Mm -hmm. actually facing the authority and uh, yeah he kind of disses the the rock throwing uh anti-corporate um protesters he's more of a man of direct action yeah yeah so so find find get get a copy of shooting war and, and find out what what anthony means by that um and yeah, and maybe a, a final word about the the, the documentary because it's available at the Ann Arbor Public Library. So anyone who wants to see it, Battleground Twenty One Days on the Empire's Edge, or you could buy it, and that would probably be helpful too. I wasn't going to say anything, but yes, you can buy <laughs> um, it on Amazon, or, or you can actually rent it on Netflix, or if you have Showtime, you can actually get it on Showtime on demand. Oh, great! Okay, it's and I, what I wanted to talk about was your choice of word, empire, um, because I think halfway through the film, there's a moment where um, they're finding the uranium, like the things that are tinged. Do you mind if we talk about this, Dan? Because I know it's not directly about shooting war. That's <laughs> but um, okay, well I'll just finish. Um, and and this and the 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 man the Iraqi who who you're filming then um, he has this moment where he's talking and suddenly I realized the Empire's Edge that that you were talking about was the U.S. Empire rather than um, the Saddam Hussein's former empire and it was just this moment that's the moment that got me where I was just like oh, oh, we're <laughs> we're the bad guys yeah yeah <laughs> God. Damn it. I know. <laughs> well, you know, I think uh, in, in Battleground, we this amazing uh, tank commander, a sergeant, uh, summed it up best. He was literally, we got this uh, interview. It was the last t- tape that we had, and our battery was running out. This guy is standing in front of a poster of Britney Spears with yes. some uh, NFL football players, and he says, when America s- say liberation, we mean capitalism. Mm-hmm. You but know, you can't ha- tell your. You but know, can the you tell and mothers and sons and daughters that you're sending their kids off to fight for Big Macs? No, you cannot. You have to tell them that we're fighting for moral reasons, and that you know he pretty much summed up the big lie uh, of this war. And I don't think it's a left or right analysis. I mean, 
the people who like him, you know, and, and the people who, in power, they understand that, uh, that throughout history that these economic imperatives of sec- opening market uh, um, trade routes and securing new marketplaces have just have been what drives our conflicts. And it's not anything new. And you actually, if you, t- anyone probably listening to this, you'll probably learn all this in, when you take your international relations class. <laughs> right, right. Is that, you know, that's what foreign policy is about. Um, so that, and he says it's not for now, it's for 50 years hence. Right. right? Like, so like a step. So, and that, it, that really, I think, informs the central themes of Shooting War as well. It's a, a book trying to look at how little... Um, the mainstream media is really able to get at these deeper things um, and these human elements about people who are fighting uh, and dying in these wars that are being fought under really false pretenses. Yeah, and it's uh, yeah, and it's commenting that it's not showing the the mainstream media in in a good light at all. So it's an interesting. It's a great satire. So shooting war. Anthony LePay, Dan Goldman, thanks for coming and talk, talking to me today on the Living Writers Show. Thanks for having us. And, thanks. Um, and yeah, and good luck with the rest of you're going to the West Coast yep. next. You can and then find back at com. You can find out about how to order the book. Uh, you can look at the original web comic. You can get a uh, uh, Dan Rather t-shirt. Uh, and you can find out where else we're going to be on our tour if you have friends around the country. But yeah, so. Um, yeah, because the frequency is courage, right? We'll, we'll end on that. Like, as the wave our fists in the air. Nice. Um, and kick. Can you say your line again, Dan? <laughs> the, uh, kick something that means something. Okay, thank you. So mm. that's uh, that's the Living Writers Show. My name is T Hetzel. Thanks for listening, to Ann Arbor. Thanks for streaming um, wherever you are, Florida, Seattle. Um, until next time. We'll never disappear. I've seen that road before It always leads me here Lead me to your door The wild and windy night That the rain washed up
This is WCBN FM Ann Arbor. The Living Writers Show is concluded for today. Um, we just heard The Long and Winding Road from the Beatles' Let It Be Naked album. And until the Daily Sports Report starts at 5.15, we're going to be listening to some more music. This is Czech singer Jaromir Nohavica with a Christmas ballad called Ladovska Zima. Sesli, sedí pan Lada, obrázky kreslí zimního kraje, ladovská zima za okny je, a srdce jí má bílá nostalgie, ladovská zima, děti a sáně, a já jdu s nima do chrámu páně, bim bam, bim bam. Bílé svinstvo padá mi za límec. Už čtvrtý měsíc v jedném kuse furt prosinec. Večer to odhážu, domážu záda, ráno se zbudím a zase kurva padá. Děcka mají zmrzlé kosti, saňkuju už jenom z povinnosti. Mrzne jak svině. 30 pod nulu, auto ani neškytne, hrudky se dělají v mogulu. Kolony aut, krok, sun, krok, bo silní čáři tak jak každý rok, jsou překvapení velice, že s nich zasypalím silnice. Pendolino stojí, kde si gupolomy, zamrzli mu všechny cederomy. A policajti? Tito jistí z dálky zalezli do arálky. Ladovská zima za okny je a srdce jí má bílá nostalgie. Ladovská zima, děti a sáně a já jdu s nima do chrámu páně. Bim bam, bim bam, bim bam, bim bam. Na Vysočině zavřeli do jedničku kamiony hrali na honičku. Takzvané rally letní gumy. V tým kopcu u Meziříči spěchali s malou náma a teď jsou však víte kde. Na čete jedna studio sníh. Voldanová sedí na saních. A v Praze kalamita jak na Sibiři 3 cm sněhu a u muzea čtyři. Jak v dálce vidím zasnížený říp, říkám si pravče Čechu, ty byla strašný cip. Kdyby si popošel ještě o pár kilometrů dále, tak jsem se teďka mohl si v teple v plavkách válet. Místo toho, abych se člověk bál zajít do Teska na nakupy jak jsou tam na těch rovných střechách sněhu kupy. Do toho všeho, jak mi 
jak mám zmrzlý nos a lica, tak ještě z rady a provokatér nohavica. Hladovská zima, zákluje, a srdce jí má bílá nostalgie. Hladovská zima, děti a sáně, a já jdu s nima do chrámu páně.
Sports Report. Puts it around the boards. Hensick is there. Puts it out in front. Shot at that by Turnbull. He scores. Travis Turnbull took a bouncing puck in front and knocks it in the net. Wolverines extend that lead. It's now three to one. Eight seconds left to go. He will dump it into neutral ice. Five seconds left to go. Hensick gets the puck. Sends it all the way in over the goal. And time is going to expire. The Wolverines won it, the number seven ranked Michigan Wolverines with the upset at home over the number four Boston College Eagles in an exciting game here at Yost Ice Arena. Alright, good afternoon Ann Arbor, Tony Bolton and Rob Solomon here for the Daily Sports Report. Rather light turnout for this show. I guess so, good thing you showed up. I know, I was going to leave, it would be the Rob Solomon show, which wouldn't be, I'd, I'd listen at least. Yeah, there you go. Um, so I guess we'll start with Michigan sports and the, uh, the, the soap opera that has turned, uh, into the Michigan coaching search, uh, late last night, uh, miles comes out and his quote is, I'll say it again. I'm not, I'm going to be the coach at LSU. Uh, the reports had come out that Mary Sue Coleman had called up Les miles. An official had flown down to, uh, Louisiana, to talk with Les Miles, everybody assuming that it had to deal with um, making an offer or trying to get the, the works done here on a, on a deal. And Les Miles has another press conference. He's had about three of them since this whole whole thing started with the SEC championship game. And uh, he basically came out and said that the phone call, the meeting, it, it was it was just Michigan asking Les Miles for help. And that as, as a loyal alum of the college, he was helping Michigan with their coaching search. Yeah, <laughs> if you believe that, I mean, come on. He's helping out Michigan. I know he's an alum, but that's a little far-fetched. And there's a couple of things with this. One, that Mary Sue has to go over the head of Bill Martin to conduct this is one problem uh, in itself. <laughs> and the second is that Michigan does not know where to go here. I mean, they're trying to—I mean, they got turned down by Miles once. Then they turned to Shiano, which didn't have much chance of— happening anyway, especially with uh, how he said at Rutgers and potentially likely to Penn State. And now, there's nobody out there. They try to turn back to Les Miles for a second time, and he turns him down again. Well, I mean, I'm I'm so under the impression that Miles is going to be the head coach here because I'm not buying this at all. I mean, I don't buy Michigan asking for help. Um, I really think this is just a, a ploy to keep the players focused, and I, I really think LSU has said, you know, if you accept the Michigan job now, you're not going to be that you're not going to coach us in the national championship game and miles really wants that bowl game because he he likes his kids he's loyal to them he wants to win that game but after that i think he's heading up here and i'm i'm going that's gonna be my thought until michigan trots out somebody else and he puts on the the michigan cap yeah i mean it wouldn't surprise me i think it's just because i mean if you heard how vindictive he was his statement that he released uh online yesterday i mean it's it's another level above nick saban oh it's it would be tough for him to do it now, considering he said this multiple times uh, that he would stay at LSU for next year. But uh, coaching is bizarre in college. You can leave after you sign a 10-year contract and go somewhere else next year. So it wouldn't surprise me. If it's not Les Miles, um, I don't know who it is because Ron English, who's heard in the conversation, I think I've given him a little bit more credence than others have when we had Jim Cardi on last Friday. He, think, he did not think... Ron English was a viable candidate because he didn't think you could go from interviewing 
Les Miles and Greg Schiano to getting Ron English as your head coach. That would be a heck of a drop-off. Uh, we talked about earlier, Jim Grove maybe from Wake Forest. Bobby Petrino now off the market down to Arkansas. So I don't know where you go if you're Michigan. Yeah, and that's another thing is that Arkansas. Arkansas is a coach. <laughs> I mean, they, they uh, uh, Houston Nutt left after Lloyd Carr announced his retirement. And uh, I've totally lost my train of thought. He, Arkansas is a coach now. And not only a, you know, a, an okay coach, that's the NFL ranks. And plucked the guy who just signed a huge contract in the NFL to coach the Atlanta Falcons. And now they just pulled him right out of there. He says, forget it, Atlanta. I'm going back to college. And uh, he's the coach at Arkansas. And that's just – that's got to be burning Michigan fans right now. That This is just is, – uh, Old Miss has a coach. Yeah, and Houston Nutt. Yeah. Houston Nutt. Arkansas has a coach. Nebraska has a coach. Nebraska has a coach. There's actually – there's probably – Michigan's one of the few left that don't have a coach. Colorado State got a coach today, the – coordinator from the Bills. The, the good news is Duke is still without a coach. Yeah, they're, they're closing in on Carl Durrell from UCLA. So uh, we'll see how this timeline plays out. Dead period coming up here in recruiting in the next couple weeks around Christmas. Uh, and I don't know how much Bill Martin will probably be out yachting during the Christmas vacation. <laughs> so I don't know what he's going to be. I don't know how invested he'll be in in finding the next coach. So I, I think there's a heck of a chance Lloyd Carr's back for another year as interim coach. Really? really? <laughs> I don't know where they uh. go. I mean, look. I think we're going to be talking about this when we come back in oh, January. Yeah. There's still no coach. Yeah, I I, I believe it. Yeah. I mean, uh, I I've been listening to the sports, uh, sports radio today, and you know they, they're under the impression that Les Miles is still the guy that LSU is making him hold all these press conferences. That it's it's the school doing it, not Les Miles, and that LSU basically knows they're losing him after the national championship game. So I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't think the full story will ever really come out. But uh, it, it's going to be interesting. Uh, Tedford from Cal has been rumored. I mean, that would be a strange hire. I mean, Bill, I've heard Bill Cowler coming back out of somehow coasting him out of retirement. Currently not coaching anywhere. Uh, I've always said give Urban Meyer a call at this point. What's it going to hurt? I mean, you're just you know, it's it's a strange. It's been a strange journey for the Michigan coaching job. And there's still a long way to go on it. So uh, that's the story of the Michigan football team to be continued <laughs> and, uh, for some time. Michigan basketball team plays tonight against Oakland at 7 o'clock. Uh, could be a challenge for the Michigan basketball team. They've lost four in a row, five of six. And uh, the last played against Duke this past Saturday and got blown out by 20, what was it, 28? 28, yes. Yeah. And uh, test tonight, Oakland lost by just four to Michigan State in East Lansing a couple weeks ago. Uh, they're a team that scores a ton of points over 80 a game, and Michigan's struggled at times to put the ball in the hoop, so it could be a test for Michigan tonight. Yeah, uh, they struggled against Duke to put the ball through the little orange cylinder uh, down on the court. Uh, they had wide-open shots over and over and over in that game, which is what the beeline system is intended to do. It's intended to give you open three-point looks. Michigan 